All right, guys, good evening. If you want to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. We finished up, obviously, 1 Corinthians last week, and Paul has been waiting to hear back as to how that letter went. It's kind of a rough letter to send as we you know, all went through it. It's pretty convicting, and, um, but it was all done in love, which he'll express tonight in this letter. So he's been waiting to hear back, and he's finally heard back from, we believe, uh, Titus, um, who probably took the letter, um, and has, he's met up with him. And has heard about it. And so he writes this second letter back. And this is a, um, an interesting letter. It's meant to be more encouraging, obviously, because they heard what Paul had to say. Uh, they received it with gladness. And anybody that receives God's word with gladness is always blessed. And they, and they were. And uh, they were obedient to it. Uh, he told them some hard things. And, and, uh, and they did what he asked them to do. And uh, he's excited about that because they doesn't usually go like that, to be honest with you. Um, but it did this time. Now, the problem was with the first letter, not with the letter, but with the people at the Corinthian church, was they had had folks come in that were teaching things contrary to what Paul was teaching. And that's where it all starts. You get just that little, you know, hide hide an ounce of lies and a pound of truth, you know, kind of thing. Just a little bit leavens the whole lump. And so they were there. Now, when you confront false teaching like that, and those folks that were teaching those things were probably in the crowd when they would read this letter from Paul to the whole church, you can see what kind of feelings those guys would have. They've been called out. And so this second letter, you're going to see him, Paul, having to defend his ministry. Um, those guys that got called out uh, began to badmouth Paul. And began to question his authority, uh, question his credentials um, compared to theirs, and, and so on. And so there, uh, it's, a, it's a reputation assassination is what's going on with Paul, or it has been happening since that letter. And so Paul finds himself having to not only reestablish his authority with the church, or reestablish his credentials with the church, but also reaffirm his love for the church, which is the most important part. The things he wrote to them was out of love. The, 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 the reason he even took the time to write it was because of his love. If he didn't care, if he didn't love, who cares what they do? Um, they're not in my sphere of influence anymore. I'm all over the world starting churches, you know. But he does care and he does love them and considers them children. Naughty children, but children nonetheless, you know. So he wrote them. So he writes his second letter. Two, two different subjects. He's excited that they've listened to him. He's got a few more things to say, but then he also reestablishes his credentials as well as his love. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That sets it up for what Paul's going to uh, reaffirm. Uh, I'm not an apostle by my will. I'm not an apostle by a uh, degree from a school. Uh, I'm not an apostle for any other reason except by the will of God. It was God's will. God found Paul. Jesus found him on the road. 
um, blinded him, confronted him about his antagonism towards the church and towards, obviously, against Jesus himself. And Paul submitted and willingly submitted and uh, was changed and transformed and born again and filled with the Spirit and has been on fire ever since. But that was all by the will of God. God called him, you know. And so Paul says that. I, I'm apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Um, it's not self-appointed. You know, we've already hit on that several times as we went through Corinthians and even as we're, we've been going through um, Numbers. Um, it's not something you get to choose. It's not, it's not a vocation. Um, it's a calling. And so Paul establishes that. And he says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. Um, sometimes Paul says churches. Sometimes he says church divided into different groups, some in Corinth, some in Ephesus, and so on. Um, this is one of those times he uses it in a singular form. With all the saints who are in all Achaia. In other words, everybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ is a saint. Uh, you don't have to apply for it, nor do you get voted in. It's something that's uh, God-given um, when you believe on Jesus for your salvation. He honestly wants, in verse 2, grace and peace. That is, that is the goal of any shepherd. Um, it, that's what Psalm 23 is all about. He leads me beside still waters and in green pastures. He wants me to lie down. That's a shepherd's dream, is when the sheep are so comfortable they can lie down, that they're not panicked, that they're not looking around, that they're not worried, um, that they can eat and drink in peace um, and in safety, both. Um, and so that's his heart. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble or tribulation with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or, if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also will you be partakers of the consolation. Now he says that, you know, Paul, he's a complex guy, you know. And even as I'm reading that, I'm going, okay, wait a minute. It's very, very simple what he's saying. He's saying that when we run into tribulation, there is always God's equal comfort in that tribulation. So don't worry about us and know this, um, that when we're in tribulation and we get comfort, we're also going to be able to comfort other people when they go through this kind of situation. And also, if you suffer, you're going to have the same kind of comfort that we're getting because our God supplies the same comfort to all and on all. And that's basically what he's saying. Some of the things we go through I don't think are ever ordained by God. I don't think he says, you know, you're going to get this so that you can comfort people later on in this. I don't know if it's that pointed. It, it is true um, that we go through things that become effective in our walk and our ministry later on with other people, but I don't think it's God saying, I need someone who really knows how to deal with cancer patients, so I'm going to give you cancer so that you can go minister to them. No, I think that's just the fall. I think that's just horrible world living that we have here, and bad things happen to good people, but God always can use that in our walk. He can always use those bad things. He works all things together for good. Even those things that weren't picked by him or thrust upon you, things that just happened to us, if we walk with Christ, if we're tight with him, and we receive that comfort, and sometimes that's hard for us to do, 
to receive that same comfort that he wants to offer us. But when we receive that comfort, and we are comforted, it worked, then when someone else is going through something that we've had experience in, then we're able to help them through it as well. I, the Smiths aren't here, I don't think, and I just got to thinking about them. That was difficult. <laughs> uh, that's an understatement. Um, and it wasn't something that God said, you know, I need someone that can really help people with the loss of a child. And so God thought, no, that's not how that works. This just happened. This is a, a world full of danger, and our enemy is out there, and it's all his fault. Okay, place the blame squarely on the shoulders where it belongs, on Satan. But it happened. And I wouldn't say that the mourning or the difficulty or the struggles have been made easier, but they have changed since then, a year later. And they now have an experience in their walk with Jesus as they walked with Jesus through it and received comfort from God in it and were comforted by it and by him. They can now minister in a way that I can't. I can imagine the pain. I can imagine how it must feel, but I don't know. And that's what Paul's getting at is the difficulties and the tribulation, whatever it may be, sickness, loss, whatever. When we're comforted, we're able to comfort in these same things. That's what he's saying. Okay. And I have to understand that, to not become bitter in those times. Um, this world has a lot to throw at us. Not a lot to offer us. has a lot to throw at us. This is a broken, corrupted world full of sin. It won't be like that forever, but for now it is. And every day there's that opportunity for us to go through tribulation. Something we didn't expect. But when we know to go to our comforter and we receive comfort from him, God will work that whatever the world threw at us, out for good. And we'll be able to comfort others in those same situations. And that's what Paul's saying. No matter what Satan throws at us, whatever Satan throws at you, he's going to work it out for good. Verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble or tribulation which came to us in Asia, that we were uh, burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we were despairing even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us. And thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Paul's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. I'm not trying to hide the difficulties we go through. I want to show them. Um, why does he have to say that? This is our first clue. He has to say that because someone on the other side, someone in their congregation is saying, well, if Paul was walking by faith, why does he have so much trouble? Why is he always in jail all the time? Why is he always sick? Why doesn't his eyes get fixed? How come he couldn't heal everybody that he lay hands on? How come? And all these questions are coming up. And Paul says, no, 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 I don't want you to be ignorant of the things we're going through. It is hard out here. It's difficult. The people that are being killed, all the Christians being killed, the persecution that's taking place of the saints, this is to be expected. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer 
persecution. That's a given, and Christ said that. And so Paul says, whatever they're telling you, we're not hiding this, and we're not embarrassed by it. This is something that God's going to use. And we were so far gone, we were despairing even to life. But there's no way out of this. They had resigned themselves. We're dead. This is it. We're gone. We had no trust in ourselves, our ability to talk our way out of it, maybe having another court case where Paul could pull out his oration skills. You know, We didn't trust anybody. Um, we trusted in God, though, and he did. I mean, it's as if he raised us from the dead is what he's getting at. We were going to trust that if, 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 if they follow through, which they're going to, God will have to raise us from the dead, almost like an Abraham-Isaac kind of situation. I know we're going over there, and I'm going to kill my son, but God made a promise, and so therefore he's probably going to raise him from the dead, and we'll come back to see you. That's what Abraham said. This is the same kind of situation Paul's in. I've never been in that kind of situation before. I've got it easy, you know. I read about these guys. I read about these saints that are walking this way, and I'm amazed. I'm amazed. And I trust. Because sometimes you put yourself in their scenario right now. I don't know if you've ever done that. Like, if I was Paul right then, how would I have done? Would I have passed like he passed the test? Would I have been as trusting as he was trusting? And, and I'm not so sure I would be, but I have to trust that in that situation, God would give me the faith to walk through it with him, you know. It's at that time that he fills me with his spirit, and I'm able to have that strength and his strength to go through it. Oftentimes, my scenarios that I put myself in are in my strength, and I always fail in my mind or in my imagination, and that's right. I do, and I would. But in Christ, we'll be able to walk through these things when it's our time. Verse 12, for our boasting is this. This is what we boast in. The testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and more abundantly toward you. For we are not writing any other thing to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand, even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you are also, or you also are ours. In the day of our Lord Jesus. That's what Paul wants. Wouldn't it be great if we could get back to that, Corinthians, that we could boast about you as a church that we started and it's an amazing thing that's going on there and you could actually talk good about us when we're not around? That's what he wants. We boast about you. We hope you can boast about us. And the reason you should be able to boast about us above any other teacher you've got in your congregation there in Corinth is because we had godly sincerity and we were simple. We never told you anything more than what you could read yourself, what you were already understanding as you went through the scriptures. We only confirmed it, basically. That's what I loved about going to Costa Mesa when I first got introduced to Calvary Chapel. When I sat there and listened to Pastor Chuck and other, and other churches, other Calvaries out there too, when I just started, you know, going door to door, trying to figure out which church I wanted to go to, and I ran into that place. As I opened the Bible and he began to teach, it was exactly what I was reading on the page, you know. And uh, you always want to keep it that way, or you try to anyway. Sometimes it doesn't go as well as you think it should. You, don't, you get complicated um, in your teaching. You might have um, difficulty in some passages or whatever, but for the most part, you want to stay simple, and you want to have godly sincerity. Um, you want to receive it yourself first and then give it out to the people. And 
We come together to study God's word, but if you hadn't showed up, you could have read the chapter and still by the Holy Spirit been taught the exact same thing. That's the idea. And Paul says we've done that. Verse 15. And in this confidence, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. That was my plan. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, uh, do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. It's a funny way of saying that when I say I'm going to do something, I say, if the Lord wills. I plan on going there and doing this, if the Lord wills. In other words, in him, if it's his will, and my walk with him, that's my hope. The question is, Paul, how come you ain't here yet? You promised us you were going to come. In fact, you threatened us last time in the last letter you were going to come and see us, and you haven't showed up yet. He goes, now, when I made plans, did I, did I just say, I'm coming in the name of Jesus? You know, we can do that sometimes. No, I didn't. My plan was in him. I said, yes, I'll come. But so far it hasn't been his will, and that's okay. And you've got to keep it that way. You've got to be careful with your kids. This is a side note for parenting. This is Parenting 101. Man, if you ain't going to take them to Disney World and you're not sure, and you don't have the plane reservations and everything, don't even mention it to your kids. <laughs> Anybody blow that? That's a parent fail. Man, we're going to go, next summer we're going to do this. It's going to be great. We're going to do this. And the kids are like, yeah, they're already packed that night. It's five months later, but they're packed. And then they ask you, for the, and then things don't work out. You know, it ain't, money ain't there or whatever it is. It's caused you to, this isn't going to happen. The kids, are, they're let down. And that's a side note. It, it, let your yes be yes, your no be no, and let it be in him, you know. And when it comes to kids, don't even mention it till the day before. That's a, this is a trick. This is a parent hack. I think that's what they call it nowadays, a parent hack, right? Wake them up and say, we're going to Disney World today. That, that's how you do it. Plan it all without them. Okay. Anyway, that's how you do it. Because then you don't have to listen to the, is it today, is it tomorrow, how much longer it is? No, it's right now. Oh, great. Because that's how kids live. Anyway, <laughs> for all the promises of God in him, in his will, are yes, and in him, amen. Now to the glory of God through us. You see, they're all yes and, you can say yes and amen when they're at his will. It's when I try to, ask God to come along with my will. But I'm not so sure it's yes and amen. You know? But in him, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has appointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That's how we know. That Spirit bears witness. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul, that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Not that we uh, have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers uh, for your joy, for by faith you stand. Paul never considered himself better than the Corinthians, over the Corinthians, above the Corinthians, but he did understand his role in the Corinthian church, and his role was to be their pastor. And so I spared you, because if I would have showed up, it'd not, 
been great, you know. He already warned him last time in his first letter. Um, not that I have dominion. I don't have, uh, you know, I don't lord over you. I'm just saying I would have had to say what I have to say. You wouldn't have to obey what I said, but I'd still have to say it to your face. And that doesn't always go so well. So he wrote a letter. Sometimes that's a good thing. It's not a coward's way out to let things sink in before you show up, you know. I get messages sometimes, you know. Pastor, I'd like to meet and have lunch with you. Now, I've had enough wax in the back of the head at those lunches that I kind of am a little gun shy now. I'm a little, I duck when I see those. I'm like, what do they want to talk to me about? What did I do now? You know, kind of thing. <gasps> it's always good to just put it right there. Hey, I'd like to talk to you about sweeping. I'd like to start sweeping. Then I don't have to worry for three days until that lunch shows up, you know. Great, yeah, I'll have lunch with you about sweeping. That'd be awesome. <laughs> but if it's about how you hate me, at least tell me ahead of time so I get prayed up, you know. So Paul says, you know, Paul writes that letter and he says, I, you know, it softened the bull. And you know what? It, that's all it took was the letter. How great is that? It just took the letter. And they got straightened out. Chapter 2. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? In other words, I'm not going to be happy until you guys get straightened out. That's the idea. Um, if my letter made you sad, um, it was hard for me to write, and I'm sorrowful, but the only way this is going to get better is if you listened. And so that's why he says that. I determined not to come to you in sorrow. I'm not going to show up and say, God, you read my letter and threw it away and burned it or whatever, added a little ceremony. Um, I'm not going to come until I hear otherwise. And he has heard otherwise. That's the good news. I have heard from him. Um, Titus has told me that it went well. And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I come, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you, with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. That letter didn't come it wasn't supposed to be a beat down. It was supposed to be out of love. And I hope you understand that. Um, you are my joy. And when I heard those things about you, my joy was gone. Because that's not what I taught you. And that's not what Jesus teaches. So I wrote these things. And it was hard to write these things. It is hard to share the truth with people. To not come across and to not be perceived as evil, angry, or whatever, it's hard. Um, but you got to do it anyway. And Paul knew he had to do it, and he did it. And it was with many tears that he wrote that letter. He, maybe tears because he thought, they're not going to receive this, this is going to go south, but at least I have a clear conscience. I've, I've, I've shared everything I needed to share, you know. I don't know what his tears were for, from, but he obviously shares that it was hard. But he wants him to know that it was hard because I love you so much, and I would hate to break fellowship with you, you know. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent. Now remember the subject of that letter. One of the main problems was this guy was taking his mom 
as a bride, so to speak, and bringing her to church, and they were acting as if they were married and so on. And he says, this things ought not be, brethren. I mean, even the pagans don't do this. The unbelievers don't do this. And so he's talking about this guy right here, this situation. But if anyone has caused grief, he, that guy, has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent. Not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. I'm glad you listened to me, and you did turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. That's what I had done, and you had followed suit and said, yep, that was the right thing to do, and you did it too. But I hear that he's repentant now, and so I want to follow up on that. You need to bring him back. You know, allow him back um, with full honors, you know, so to speak. Um, bring him back, but not with a demotion, but right back where he was, because that's how God works. When you've, uh, when you've repented, uh, when, you've, when you've confessed, um, th- there's nothing more to do. You just go right back to God. There's no path. Uh, there's no groveling. There's no knee walking. There's no bead spinning. None of that stuff needs to take place. It's fast. It's right back to God. And he wants him to know that. On the contrary, don't, it's enough. Don't let him be swallowed up with, with, or swallowed up with too much sorrow. You're going to destroy the guy. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you're obedient in all things. In other words, I wasn't sure you were going to do it, but you did. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything... I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We just want to make sure we're those kind of people that aren't afraid to say that's wrong, and if you're not going to repent, you're going to continue to live in sin, and you don't see it as sin, and it's contrary to God's word, then you can't fellowship with us. I've got to break fellowship with you until you get right for your sake. But, out of love, when you repent and see what God's Word says, and you've changed your heart on the matter, and it's, it, you, we reaffirm that love as if nothing's ever happened. It's that kind of forgiveness. That's a tough thing. Um, even, even in our fellowship, I, I struggle. I have to, you've got to be led of the Spirit. Because you know that on Sunday mornings and even tonight, it's a mixed crowd sometimes. Some are unbelievers darkening the door of the church for the first time. They don't know Jesus. They don't know they're not supposed to be in this, that, or the other thing. And so how long do you wait before you say, you know, you've been here a year, you've heard God's word, we've covered that specific subject, that sin in your life several times, and I don't see it affecting you. The word of God isn't touching your heart. Where are you at on this? You know, um, Sometimes they'll say, I don't think that's sin. I'm just going to keep doing it. Okay. Well, you know God's word, says, God's word says this, right? Yeah, I do. And, and you know you're not supposed to be doing it, right? Well, I know that's what he says, but I don't, I don't think that's true anymore. Okay. Although we're at a breaking point here, a breaking of fellowship point kind of thing. It's hard. Um, Sometimes people just need more time. Some people need three months to figure out, you know what, we're not supposed to be doing this. Other people need a couple years to figure it out. So where do you do that, you know? When do you you say you've had enough of God's word? By now you ought to get it, you know, kind of thing. It's tough. You've got to be led of the Spirit. You have to know um, from Him. You've got to pray about it. 
And so Paul says, look, I can see that this guy's repentant. I, that's what I heard from Titus anyway, that she did it. He felt, feels horrible. He broke, a, broke it off, and he's straightened out, and he's staying clear. Um, bring him back. You know, bring him back. Don't let this be one of those situations where you let him go and good riddance and we're a better church because he's not here. No, don't bring him back. He's just going to bring in more mud when he comes back in. Don't be that way, you know. Um, Don't let him be defined by that sin that he's repented of the rest of his life, you know, in your mind. Um, Verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel... And a door was opened to me by the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are in the aroma of death leading to death. To the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, um, but as of God, we speak the sight, speak in the sight of God in Christ. And so um, wherever we go, whatever we do, although we couldn't find Titus, we moved from here and there. Um, wherever we went, we, we spread the gospel of Christ. Where we went. And to, to God, which is all that matters, we're the fragrance of Christ to him. He just sees that. Because Christ, always, it was a mixed crowd. I mean, no matter where he went, some believed, some didn't. Some wanted to kill him. Some thought, but he need to get baptized. You know, kind of thing. Some people got saved. Some people didn't. And that was always the case. And when we go around, that's the same way. God sees us as the fragrance of Christ. We are divisive. The gospel of Jesus Christ is divisive. Okay? And then he describes the, the, the divide. To some people, we're the aroma of death, leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life, leading to life. How many of you love the smell of an orange? I love the smell of an orange. You've got to raise your hand. I'll participate. Thank you. Some people hate the smell of an orange. My daughter, uh, Mariah, um, when Jenny is over at the sink, we have to do it in secret now. We crack an orange open. You know? She'll go, Mom, and she'll have to go to the other room because the smell is so offensive to her, okay? That's a horrible thing to put my daughter in this situation here where she seems to think that the orange is the fragrance of death, but you get the idea. To some people, when they hear you talking about Jesus Christ, it's everything they've ever hoped for. Are you kidding me? You mean he's going to forgive me for everything? He loves me that much? To some people, that's, that's, that's baking bread, Toast. Best food ever invented. Toast. You know, and you smell that and you're like, oh, it just draws you to him. It's like, oh, Christ is awesome. And that is the fragrance of life and you are drawn to it. To other people, oh my goodness, are you going to talk about Jesus? That's the fragrance of death to them. And that's, that's normal. I, I, you want to be bread. You want to be the fragrance of life to everybody, you know, as you tell them about Jesus. But it's just not the case and it's not you. Don't take it personally. Jesus is offensive to people, or he is a lifesaver to people. It's a mixed crowd everywhere you go. Don't take it personally. When you take it personally, and this is why I say that, is because it it, it gets in the way of evangelism. It can stop us from wanting to tell people about Jesus, because it seems like everywhere I go, I'm the fragrance of death. 
Well, probably not. It's not as bad as you think. Sometimes you'll have a great day, but you'll have a five-minute conversation with somebody that ruins it. You ever have that? And it's all you think about is you just dwell on that? And it could be sunshiny and 80 degrees in the middle of February, but you are miserable because of that five-minute conversation. That's how evangelism works sometimes. All we can think about as Christians sometimes is the people that think we're death. And we don't like it when some people don't like us. You know, we want everybody to like us, and it gets in the way. It's just normal. Christ is offensive, or he's a blessing. Um, and there really is no middle ground. There really isn't. And so don't, don't be upset by that. Chapter 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Do we have to commend ourselves? Do we have to prove ourselves to you? You know? Do we have to show you that we really, really know what we're talking about here? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of condemnation? Or well, it might be a commendation to you or letters of commendation from you. In other words, do I, do I need to bring a resume when I come back to Corinth to remind you of my pedigree? I don't have one, Paul says. Everything that I've done in school before Christ is counted as dung, and I never went to the school except for the school of Holy Spirit, you know? The Holy Spirit School of Theology. Graduated from that, for a minute anyway. Do I need to bring letters? Because that seems to be what the guys in the church are saying. Saying, you know, we've, we've been to the prophet school. And we've got a degree from the prophet school, you know. And uh, Paul never got a degree from the prophet school. And so all he has is the Sanhedrin. And you know what those guys are like. And so Paul's like, really? Do I need to bring a resume when I come back to you, even though I'm the one that started the church? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, served by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. You are the proof that we know what we're talking about, or that God is with us. You look at the fruit of a ministry. Paul says, you're our fruit. If you say that I, Paul, am not qualified, that that means that you're bad fruit. You don't understand what you're doing. I don't certainly need to get letters. You're our letter. You're our fruit. Paul is definitely, and he's going to switch gears here, not elaborate on it, I guess, not switch gears, that the letter doesn't mean anything. You could have a tablet of stone that has a little gold seal on it and everything with a little red ribbon hangs from it that says graduated from it. It means nothing if you're not filled with the Spirit or called by God. None of that matters. God is not looking for... He's not looking for qualifications necessarily as far as degrees go. He's not looking for your knowledge. Um, he's not looking for your skills. He's looking for a servant's heart. That's all he's looking for. Is anybody willing to do what I've asked them to do and say only what I've asked them to say? You know, I don't care if they're great orators. I don't care if they failed speech class or, or aced it or win debate. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for hearts. Everything else can be given to you by the Holy Spirit. Everything that you lack. The one thing you can't, the Holy Spirit can't bring to somebody or force someone into is obedience and submission and a servant's heart. That's all that's required for God is a servant's heart. And so he says, what do I need to do? Do I need to write another, you know, commendation letter? And... Verse 4, we have such trust through Christ 
our God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers or servants of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And he's talking about the old covenant versus the new covenant. The old covenant kills. When the old covenant, when the Ten Commandments came down with Moses, 3,000 people were killed because they were breaking all those commandments. It didn't do anything but bring guilt. As they're in the middle of the act, and there comes a signpost that says, you shall not, and here I am, and that means I'm guilty of breaking the law. Whereas when the Holy Spirit falls upon all 120 in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, and they come out, and Paul preaches, 3,000 people get saved. The Spirit brings life. Paul's trying to contrast these things, trying to show them this is better. Don't worry about the letter. It's the Spirit um, that brings life to God's Word. Now, he's not saying that God's Some people take this as God's Word is the letter, and we don't want to ever open God's Word. Let's just be moved by the Spirit, you know, kind of thing. No, that's not what he's saying. Um, the Ten Commandments are absolutely good and wonderful and perfect. There's nothing wrong with them. The problem is that we're under them, you know. The problem is that when those are up and we're not in the new covenant with Christ, we're under those laws and we fail and therefore we're guilty and we deserve death. That's what's wrong with them. If anything, it's us. We failed. We're criminals, you know. The law is fine for law-abiding people. The law is horrible for criminals, and that's who we are. On the other hand, forgiveness, mercy, is awesome. It brings life. And that's what he's trying to bring across here. Verse 7. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, and it was, so that the children of God could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? In other words, it's a better covenant. And we've heard this before, but he's really putting it on there. You know, Moses was up on top of the mountain. He was glowing when he came down because he was in the presence of God and he wrote those things and those were awesome and so much so that they couldn't look at him and it passed away. But the Spirit, the new covenant, how much better is that going to be? And that never fades. For if the ministry of condemnation, that's that, that those wonderful tablets that made us all guilty, had glory... The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Does that tell you? The tablets brought condemnation, but they were glorious. But what's the ministry of the Spirit? The ministry of the Spirit is righteousness. That's what he, does. That's what he comes to do. He makes us righteous. Jesus Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. It's been given to us. It's a glorious thing. And there's nothing more glorious than to hear the words, not guilty. You ever watch that moment of truth when you see the defendant standing there and they're reading off the charges and they're waiting for that final phrase come out of the, the you know the, the the peer of twelve the twelve peers there the jury we find the defendant guilty oh and he just slumps in his chair and there he goes off to prison for the next who knows how long after the sentencing period but if he they say the other, we find him not guilty you can see them what do they do they look up they always do they just go oh it's just his freedom. That's the difference. The Ten Commandments came down and although they were absolutely right and accurate, it brought oh, shame, guilt, despair. 
But the not guilty verdict that the Spirit offers us in Christ Jesus because Christ paid the penalty for our sins brings us life, you know. Neat. For if what was passing away, wait a minute, where am I? For even if what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. People have a hard time with this. It's passed away. It's passed away. Um, As a Christian, I'm no longer under that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am no longer under that condemnation. It's passed away. I rest and reside in, live in, swim in, however you want to put it, run in, walk in, whatever it is, in the Spirit. I stay there. I stay in Christ's righteousness, never assuming that I could possibly keep what condemned me. I'm always staying there, and we have to stay there. That's what makes evangelism work. If you want to lead people to Christ, you have to be there. You can't be under the law. You can't. It doesn't work. You've got to be under you yourself, personally. Before you go out to evangelize, you have to be walking in the Spirit. You have to be under Christ's righteousness. You have to know it's not you. You have to know you're as guilty as everybody you're going to talk to except that you have Christ. Then evangelism works because all you're offering them is the same forgiveness that you've received. If we come out and try to minister Christ to anybody in any other state of heart or state of mind, we'll fail or we'll lead them to a misrepresented Christ. Very important. We have to stay here. Therefore, um, since we have such hope, We use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. They can read the Old Testament all they want, but they... They're reading it with a veil over their face. But when they come to Christ, they read the Old Testament, they're like, oh, you know... Oh, but even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Paul knows this. Paul has tried to minister to the Jews time and time again. And you've got to know how frustrated he is when he sees them. Like, you guys aren't hearing it. We don't know what you're talking about. That makes no sense to us. You know, Paul, what do you mean, Isaiah 53? How could you not see that? As a believer in Christ, have you ever read Isaiah 53? Hopefully you have. How can the Jews not see Jesus there? How can they not see their suffering Messiah, their risen Lord? How can they not see it? They don't. And so Paul knows that, and he's come to a conclusion, and he's writing this out for us. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Talk about which comes first, the chicken or the egg. I mean, you could argue endlessly about this right here. So, I've got to come to Christ before I understand that the Old Testament was talking about Christ? How does that work? No. No. People can come to know Christ and then read the Old Testament and see it. Oh my goodness, Genesis was screaming salvation through a Savior. That's what the seed is. I understand what God was saying about Eve and and, and the whole thing. I understand it all. I can't be frustrated. We can't be frustrated with people who can't see how the Old Testament speaks of Christ. It's got to be 
a work of the Spirit. It has to be. They have to turn to the Lord. Then the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Yeah, it's over there. We wrote it. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's we're going to close on. I promise I won't do chapter 4. You guys are like, really? He's going to do three chapters? I did. Um, this veil that's over the nation of Israel right now, it's not over all Jews. Not every Jew, obviously. Paul's a Jew. He got touched by the Lord. His veil was lifted. He came to... This is, this is where you can throw out that whole debate that people like to have about it. How did Paul get saved then? Paul got saved because he was confronted with Jesus Christ. Everybody that came in contact with Jesus had a choice to make. And they had a free will choice to make. I'm either going to believe him or I'm not going to believe him. John the Baptist came to make straight the way of the Lord. And he did. Baptizing people, getting them all ready to receive their Messiah. And when he came, they got it. And then they read the Old Testament and they understood it. That's how it works. We can't expect unbelievers to read the scriptures like we understand the scriptures. We can tell them about Jesus. We can lead them through the word of God and it works. But when they come to Christ, they'll read it and it makes sense to them. I hope that helps. Because sometimes they get frustrated with how could the unbeliever who sits in the crowd for a year and a half, I don't know why they're still an unbeliever, but they are, and not understand everything that's been written to them. And for some reason that veil is there and they never saw. And you actually have to have physical conversation with them and have that contact and tell them, don't you understand what this means? That's what my, the guy, Brian Spafford, did to me. That's what he had to do. I mean, I would go to the Bible studies with him. I would go to that Overseas Christian Fellowship off campus there and go to this officer's house who lived off, off base and we had Bible studies and they fed us pancakes. They wanted dollars and quarters from us every time we came so that they could pay for the stuff. I didn't understand that. I thought it was just all free. It was just a weird thing. And I went there time after time. I, I, didn't under, I don't remember one of the Bible studies I went to. None of it penetrated by heart. None of it. Until Brian confronted me. And he just looked at me. He says, how do you know? You, you know, and I, you know the story. How do you know you're saved? Well, because I'm a Lutheran, you know. I got baptized when I was a baby. What does that do? Where's that in the Bible? I don't know. Then how do you know? And he just, he just, he confronted me on it. And the veil was lifted. I came to Christ. I said, he says, you need to believe on Jesus for your salvation. You have to make a decision to follow him. And I, I did. And the next Bible study I go to, I remember vividly. And I understood it. And when I opened God's word, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. It was like amazing. Be patient with people, but follow through. Just saying John 3.16, sometimes there needs to be more. There needs to be that moment where you actually just have a conversation with them. Are you born again? The Bible says you have to be born again. I don't even know what that means. Well, this is what it means. And you've got to explain it to them, that one-on-one -on -one evangelism. It has to take place, you know. And I say that because I can do this all day long. This is scattering seeds. And you all are the soil. And some of it was plowed up and ready to receive tonight. And some of it wasn't. And some of it bounced. And some of the birds are going to steal it away when they get to the parking lot. And some of them got received. And some of it's going to get scorched when the first trial comes tomorrow morning, you know. That happens. We all have to be eyes on one another, you know. 
and this person's been coming for a year and a half, and, you know, where are they at? You know, talk to them, uh, minister to them, take them out to lunch. Um, I, I try, but you miss people, you know, last in, first out kind of thing. And you, you run off to the parking lot, out after them, you know, kind of thing. You, you know, um, go for it. If, you, if God puts it on your heart to minister to someone and take them aside, remember, there's a veil that needs to be lifted. They need to come to Jesus, you know, um, and to help them so that they can understand and they get something out of the Bible studies, you know. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's heart, um, his love for them, the Corinthian church, um, to, to write a second letter like this, to um, have to establish all those things over again that he, he thought wouldn't have to be said, he does. And um, he's willing to do that. He's humble. Um, and we thank you for his heart, for his love for you, for his obedience to you, for the acceptance of the calling upon his life. No matter whether people believed him or not, he just did it. That's awesome. We thank you for that example. Um, we want to have that same heart, God, for whatever you call us to. Um, help us to have that same heart to serve you and to love those whom you've asked us to serve. Uh, to have a heart for them like you have a heart for them, to be an under-shepherd um, as you're the chief shepherd, um, and to, uh, to minister and serve them the way you'd want us to, being led of the Spirit, always understanding our forgiveness and mercy we receive from you, God, walking in that daily, um, understanding that redemption and that forgiveness comes from your Son and not from our works. And out of that, Lord, beautiful things take place. People get saved as they see that grace in our eyes, um, like we saw the grace in your eyes. Um, Lord, give us lots of opportunities. Um, open doors for effective ministry for us. Lord, even if they're long-term missions, you know, um, some days it's a, a quick contact with somebody. Other times it's, oh my goodness, here we go. I'm going to be in this person's life for 10 years. And it's going to take that long. Whatever you bring our way, Lord, help us to be prayed up, um, studied up, um, uh, fessed up, confessed up, um, and walking with you, God. Fill us all with your Holy Spirit. Give us every gift necessary to walk the walk you've called us to and to minister the way you want us to, Lord. Lord, we pray for our prayer time ahead of time this Saturday. We pray that it's a good time. Put it on our hearts how you'd have us pray. And uh, um, we pray that you'd hear us. In Jesus' name, amen.